let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 5. Hello and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal. At the start of this week, I had a bit of a bad throat and over the next few days that kind of got worse. I've now tested positive for coronavirus and I'm not in a very good position to try and record a full episode for this week, I'm afraid. However, so there's still some continuity of output. What you're going to hear today is the first Patreon-only episode that was put out before I formulated Dark Bites. I hope you enjoy it, and touch wood, normal service will be resumed next week. Take care. From Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal Patreon Show. Hello and welcome to the first Patreon special for the Dark Paranormal. Things will be a little bit more laid back on this show compared to the standard show. However, the ultimate aim is still for you to leave your disbelief at the door. Listen to the show and spook yourself out. Because let's be honest, that's why we're all into the paranormal. We like a good scare. Yes, we'd prefer it if there was some elements of truth and things that could not be denied within the story. 
to give that story more credence, more believability. And personally, hence starting the show, really, I find the most believable stories are those that come from everyday people. People that you might work with, people that you might never have really discussed ghosts with. But when you do, you find out all sorts of terrifying stories. And so for this first Patreon season, if you like, which will run through the month of May, that's exactly what we're going to look at. We're going to look at listener stories for my other podcast, We Need to Talk About Ghosts. Some of the best stories from that podcast that were submitted over the last two and a half years, I collated along with my partner Becca in a book called Listener Stories Volume 1. So over the month of May, whilst we wait for Season 3 of The Dark Paranormal, I'll be reading, in dark paranormal fashion, some of those stories. If you're aware of my other podcast, you may be thinking, well, I might have already heard these stories. And yes, there's a good chance you might if you like both shows. However, you won't have heard them done via the dark paranormal method, which, if the listener feedback is to be believed, adds a certain je ne sais quoi, forgive my bad French, for adding an element of terror and horror and suspense. I know I mention it on most shows, but I really do need to say thank you to all of you guys, you Patreons, who are literally the lifeblood of this show. It's an independent show, and therefore you subscribing to Patreon means the world to me, and I sincerely mean that. So, let's get to it. Leave your disbelief at the door, and join me on the Dark Paranormal Patreon show. My sister, the Ouija board, and I. My father was a Catholic, and my mother, Protestant. But neither of them practiced their faith much, and my sister and I grew up agnostic. My aunt was very religious. She was very active in the church and sent her sons to Christian schools. My sister Marie was always drawn to the paranormal and was a few years younger than I was. Our experiences took place when she was in middle school and I was in high school. She was shopping with my mum one day and saw a Ouija board. She really wanted to buy the Ouija board and after some negotiations with my mum regarding her allowance and chores, my mum agreed to buy it for her and they brought it home. We played with it and found it fascinating because the planchette would glide easily and without our help. My sister finished school before I did and I'd return regularly to find Marie and her best friend playing with the board while blasting Metallica. It didn't seem to be an issue. No one in our house minded her playing with it. Marie would say that the spirit who communicated with them was named Rachel and that the board would always spell out the same name. My sister admitted to me that she'd became slightly obsessed with the board, rushing home to play with it as soon as she returned from school and when her friend couldn't come over, she would play with it alone. One day, our Christian cousins came over, and when the eldest saw the Ouija board, he told us it was evil. My sister, offended, was determined to prove him wrong, so we all gathered in a room, my sister, brother and I, playing with the board and my cousins standing back, unwilling to participate. When the planchette started moving, my cousin suddenly started yelling at the board, 
he shouted Christian prayers interjected with degrading curse words towards the spirit. The planchette started moving in a figure of eight and moved quicker than we'd ever seen it move before. My sister and I knew there was no way we were moving it ourselves in this manner. As it whizzed around the board in a figure eight and a little freaked out, we stopped playing. And that's when strange things started happening in our house. My sister would hear footsteps walking up and down the hallway at night, but when she'd come to see which of us it was, there'd be no one there and we'd all be asleep. One night, I was up late listening to music in my bedroom. When I heard our doorbell ring, I hurried to the front door as everyone else was asleep. Curious who it could be at this hour, I opened the door and to my surprise, there was no one on our porch. Our doorbell was a portable one my parents had picked up from the store, with a bell right in the middle of our porch next to the front door. And the bell a plug-in one in our living room. Confused, I went back to my room, thinking I must have been mistaken. When I got to my room, it rang again. A little concerned, this time I cautiously went to the door and peered out of the glass window at the top of the door and saw nothing. My stomach sank. I rushed back to my room as quickly as I could and got into bed with the lights on. And then it rang again. Well and truly scared, I went to my parents' room and clambered up in between my parents. My dad didn't flinch, but my mum woke up and asked why I was there. And I told her about the doorbell. She sighed, thinking I was getting scared over nothing. And then it rang again, and she heard it. She said it was probably the batteries and got up to check the porch. Again, there was no one there. So, she took the batteries out of the doorbell and unplugged the indoor bell in the living room. She got back in bed and a few minutes later, the doorbell rang again. This time, she'd had enough and threw the whole set away, taking apart all the pieces that she could. A few days later, I came home from school to find my brother and sister frantic my brother was trying to play his Nintendo game but the cursor wasn't responding and instead was repeatedly moving in a figure 8 on the screen he'd asked my sister for help and she tried resetting it unplugging it and tried all the buttons but nothing would budge it he was concerned about his computer game not working and seeing the figure 8 figure Marie was scared She told me that ever since our cousin had insulted the Ouija board, it wasn't responding to her and would only make a figure eight. We were both convinced there was something paranormal going on and, quite scared, I called my religious aunt. We waited until my parents were out working for her to come over as we knew they wouldn't believe us and they'd find the whole thing ridiculous. But my auntie believed us and she scolded us for being so foolish as to play with a Ouija board. She blessed each room of our house, scattering holy water and telling my sister to get rid of the board. From that day forward, the house went back to normal. I learned from that experience that Ouija boards are not for playing with, and now I'm a mum myself, they're strictly banned from our house. I often listen to ghost podcasts, 
and watch real-life TV shows. Not because I like to be scared, but because I can empathise with those who've had a ghostly experience. And after dwelling on it for all these years, I now find it quite therapeutic to share. Well, I love that story. I love any truly dark stories. You know, Ouija boards tend to be dark stories. And that's, in truth, why I've done this podcast. My other show is much more light-hearted. If you've listened to it, you'll know what I mean. But I do think that some stories deserve a darker-telling format. And definitely Ouija boards and stories involving them fit under that. I mention it in the book, in my commentary after that story, but I always find it slightly convenient when discussing Ouija boards with sceptics or people who don't generally believe in the paranormal. It's one of the key tools of the occult, if you will, that sceptics, even sceptics who are staunchly disbelievers, they tend to not want anything to do with Ouija boards, which is kind of convenient. They tend to say, I don't believe. You will often hear the phrase, I don't believe in the paranormal, but I'd never do a Ouija board. And you have to ask the question, why? For me, any sceptic who says that phrase, I don't believe, but I'd never do a Ouija board. Their complete arguments about trying to put people down for believing in the paranormal kind of falls on its backside. And yes, there are arguments that there could be a lot of mental afflictions that come along with playing the Ouija board, and there are stories aplenty about that. But they only come to light when you investigate stories about Ouija boards, and a sceptic isn't doing that. So when somebody says, I'd never do a Ouija board, who is a sceptic, I don't think they're looking at it from the mental health aspect. They can only be looking at it from the paranormal aspect, which completely goes against their initial argument. That's just my stance on the whole thing, anyway, for what it's worth. So, keeping on topic, the next story is called The Writing on the Ceiling. And this is from Kent State University in the US. In my freshman year of college, my dorm roommates and I became good friends. And the four of us, Danielle, Becky, Julia and I, would frequently have slumber parties where we drank, smoked and played drinking games together. During one of these slumber parties, one of us, and I forget who, had the bright idea to make a Ouija board out of the cardboard box our pizza delivery had came in. I used a Sharpie to write a basic alphabet on the blank underside of the lid, and someone scratched a see-through spot into the mirror from a compact to make a planchette. It quickly became a favourite drinking game. Julia and I would use the board the most, sometimes just the two of us, and with the foolish bravado of youth would offend, antagonise and mock the spirit. We learned the spirit's name was Gary, and when we would insult him, he would call us names in return, and we'd laugh and laugh. One night, when it was just the two of us listening to music whilst playing, the board kept spelling, Love Julia, Love Julia, Love Julia. I found this hilarious and openly mocked both of them, crowing daft things like, Ooh, Gary wants to be Julia's boyfriend. Julia wants to kiss you. Gary and Julia kissing in a tree and so on. After a few minutes of this stupidity, the stereo started going haywire. The volume control went up and down. We could actually see the knob turning. The CD started skipping, and the equaliser 
was moving of its own accord. The mirror picked up speed and zoomed across the board, spelling, Never talking to you again, over and over. We were both immediately petrified and no longer saw the funny side of this. We stopped playing and put the board away. The next morning, Katie rushed into my room without knocking, visibly furious. How did you do it? Why did you do it? I had absolutely no idea what she was talking about. The writing on my ceiling. I leapt up, unsure what she meant, and followed her to her room. There, on part of the sloping ceiling, too high to reach without rearranging furniture, was written in capital letters, Never talking to you again. She could tell from my reaction that I hadn't done it, which part of her already knew due to the layout of the room. There was no way of reaching that ceiling without standing on something fairly high, and there was no furniture underneath the writing. We were both terrified, knowing we hadn't told the others about Gary's last message before we put the board away. And without being able to offer each other an explanation, we left for Thanksgiving break. When we both returned, Julia was freaked out. She said Gary had followed her home, that she couldn't sleep in the night due to his presence, and she was utterly terrified. Clueless about how to deal with what we were unleashing, we tried to do a binding by wrapping the board and mirror in white ribbon. This briefly worked between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we hadn't really known what we were doing. And after Christmas break, Julia reported that Gary had returned and was scarier than ever. Something was causing havoc with her electronics. Things were moving and disappearing, and the dolls her mum insisted on keeping in her room would shift around. After we came back, we told the others about what was happening. Becky had met a new guy she liked and relayed the story to him, saying we didn't know what we could do about it. This guy said what we were dealing with wasn't a ghost, but a demon, and that he was into demonology. He advised the best way to fight it would be to call in a bigger demon, which both Julia and I immediately shot down. Hard pass, random dude. Danielle, who was logical and smart, decided to go to a local psychic to ask for advice. The psychic told her to put the board in a box of salt, sage, along with a bunch of other herbs, and then get rid of it. She did give Danielle a stern warning to pass on to us. Do not, ever, mess around with Ouija boards again. We dutifully gave the box to Danielle, who did as the psychic instructed and got rid of it. Julia and I didn't ask where she took it. We were a little concerned that the herb mixture wouldn't work as the white ribbon hadn't and anxiously waited for a backlash from Gary as we'd experienced before. But to our relief, the problem seemed fixed. This happened over 20 years ago and Danielle recently asked me if it had all been one elaborate joke. I was partly flattered that she thought I could pull that off but I had to tell her it was all the truth. The following year, Becky was a big sister to a freshman in the year below and helped her move into the same dorm. Despite Julia's scrubbing and the deep clean the college did in between intakes, the writing was still there 
on the ceiling. Another fantastic listener story there. I must admit, when I read the part about the guy who said, why don't you call in a bigger demon? Even I thought, that's possibly the worst idea I've ever heard. But back to Ouija boards. What do I think on them? Well, I think there is a chance that they work. Not necessarily in the way you would first assume that a demon or a spirit controls the planchette and whizzes it around the board saying terrifying messages. I honestly think the workers of the board, i.e. the people who are doing the Ouija board, are the people moving the planchette themselves. However, they're doing it subconsciously. Now, is the subconscious there in league with some spirit entity? who is through their own subconscious moving the planchette around? Well, possibly. Could it also be argued that the fused consciousnesses of the people all around the board in a state of heightened anxiety and stress cause some sort of rift which allow an entity through? Again, possibly. I've took part in a number of Ouija boards throughout my life. Being interested in the paranormal and reaching 41 years of age, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone with those two combinations who haven't tried a Ouija board at least once. Now, I could literally go on record to say I've done hundreds of Ouija boards. However, there's only been two occasions where I think something possibly has taken place. One time, a friend of mine who moved over to England from Sri Lanka, and was a big sceptic, by the way, refused to take part in a Ouija board simply because he said it didn't work and it was a waste of our time. So much so that when we started to get in contact with an alleged spirit, he said he would ask a question, and he did. He asked what house number they lived in in Sri Lanka. Obviously, none of us around the Ouija board would know that. It's spelt out 124B. Um, And Michael, my friend from Sri Lanka, said that wasn't correct. It was 64. So we kind of all stopped that that day of doing Ouija boards, if you will. And next week, he went back and checked with his mum. And it turns out the first house they lived in, only for a two-week period, which Michael had forgot about, was 124B. Now, I don't know what to say about that, really, other than we didn't know that. Michael didn't even know that. So there is a chance that during that Ouija board session, we actually made contact with a genuine spirit. But we brushed it off and imagined that it was no such thing due to the fact Michael had confirmed it was an incorrect guess. Strange when you think about it. The next time we all view as a little bit more comedy what happened really, we were doing the Ouija board in a friend's house he was looking after as his mother had gone away. We were about 15. We started to do the Ouija board and it spelt out don't use my name in vain. Very scary. Very Edwardian almost. Next thing, um, we decided we needed to get some money to buy cigarettes and alcohol because we were, of course, naughty youths. So, as we had no cash, John, the person who was looking after the house, said he would knock next door and say the electricity had gone out. So, he knocked next door and said his mother kindly requested for £5 so we could go and get an electricity card from the garage. The neighbour, believing this message came from his mother, complied and gave him £5, which we went and spent on cigarettes and a few cans of beer. Later on that evening, around 8pm, the electricity went out. 
and collectively, in a whisper, we all said at the same time, don't use my name in vain. Highly unlikely that that spirit was his mother advising us not to tell lies to the neighbour in order to buy booze and cigarettes. But a very scary coincidence for a 15-year-old child, I tell you. Our last story today is called When Evil Arrives. When Hannah was three, she, her parents and elder brother, moved into an old two-bedroom Victorian terrace in Sunderland in the north of the UK. Her parents worked on the house, but even when it was completed, they would frequently swap bedrooms with the children. Due to her young age, Hannah didn't question this and got used to switching bedrooms every now and again. On the occasions her mother needed something from the upstairs bedroom, she would ask one of the children to fetch it for her. And when it was Hannah's turn, she would run up the stairs and in and out of the room before the bedroom door had a chance to close behind her. She didn't like being on her own in the room and avoided it whenever possible. As Hannah grew up and hit puberty, a few changes took place in the household. The family welcomed the arrival of a new baby sister. Her parents split up and her mother moved downstairs and turned the front room into a bedroom rather than sleeping upstairs. Every morning when Hannah awoke, she felt so terrified she was reluctant to open her eyes. So much so, there were occasions when she'd make it to her bedroom door and halfway down the stairs before she opened her eyes. She sensed something coming from the built-in wardrobe and felt that something was moving towards her, but never dared to look. Their dog would sit in the living room underneath the bedroom and sit looking at the ceiling, occasionally making strange noises. One night, she woke up screaming. There was something pushing under her and she was lying in an unnatural position not quite on one side, but with one half of her body raised from the bed. Her mother ran into the room, scooped her up from the bed and took her downstairs, trying to calm her down. And Hannah struggled to say what had happened. The next morning, her mother said she heard a scream and ran upstairs with the dog, but the dog wouldn't enter the bedroom. Her mother explained it had looked like Hannah had had a night terror and couldn't get any sense out of her. And without any further details, that's what they both put it down to. A few days later, Hannah was running late for college and knowing what trouble she'd be in with her strict lecturer, decided it would be best to miss the day instead and so returned home. She arrived to find the vicar sitting in the living room with her mum, which was very odd as her family were in no way religious. Her mother was taken by surprise at her coming home and stuttered an excuse about needing to speak to the vicar about the procedure for getting remarried when they were divorced. Hannah didn't believe this excuse for a second, but left the pair to it and went back to college for the rest of the day. That evening, she pressed her mother for a reason on why she was really there. Well, it was after the other night... I thought he could come and say some prayers, just in case. This confirmed to Hannah that her mother had been spooked by what had happened and also didn't believe it had been a night terror. A few days later, 
Hannah was taking things out of her wardrobe when a large crucifix fell on her from the top shelf. Looking further, she found small bottles of holy water stashed in the nooks and crannies of the room, along with a framed picture of Mary and Jesus. She challenged her mother about why all this religious paraphernalia was suddenly in her room, especially when no one from the family was religious. The only reply her mother could give was, Just to make sure you're okay, honey. Hannah later moved to university and didn't experience any strange issues whilst there. But on visits home, she experienced sleep paralysis and nightmares when sleeping in the upstairs bedroom. One particular evening, she could open her eyes but was completely unable to move anything else and was internally shrieking for something to make it stop when her mother came into the room and switched the light on, asking if she was okay. The light being switched on released the paralysis and she asked her mother what had made her come up. Her mother said the picture of Hannah's great-grandmother had fallen off the wall at the bottom of the stairs and so she'd come to investigate. Shortly afterwards, Hannah met up with her dad and told him about the strange goings-on. He told her her mother had always hated that room, which was why they used to switch rooms so frequently. Her mother had felt something was trying to roll her over at night, and the blankets had been yanked off her on numerous occasions. He had always been sceptical and wrote it off as her mother being irrational. When Hannah brought this up with her mother, she finally admitted everything and said she hadn't shared her feelings with the children as she didn't want to scare them. But she'd also had many strange things happen in the room and was never comfortable upstairs, though Hannah's father and brother had never experienced anything. A few years later, Hannah's own children would sleep upstairs when staying with their grandmother, and they both slept fine and soundly with no issues. They, however, were both boys. I find that story terrifying. I find any story about a demon or entity which targets one gender terrifying. It's unfortunate that it often seems to be women who bear the brunt of these spiritual attacks. I did ask the sender of that story for more information about the house, because by all accounts, if Hannah was able to go elsewhere, such as college and university, and not experience any paranormal activity, it seems to be definitely something emanating from the walls of the house. However, the original writer of that story did not reply. Hopefully, whoever lives there now is not enduring some physical battering by a paranormal being. And if they are, I just hope they're documenting it. And that concludes the first Patreon episode for the Dark Paranormal Patreon. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll have to let me know in the comments below. And once again, I sincerely thank you for your support for this podcast. It means the world to me. I'll catch you next week on the Dark Paranormal Patreon Show. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. 
like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.